Before I begin, I would like to have all the sponsors who are involved in winter camp stand up. All the sponsors who are involved in winter camp. And I'd like to thank you because what happened over this past weekend could not have been accomplished without you. Your selfless service, your godly living, your righteous example. And uh, we just want to thank you for that. And as you leave, be sure to see um, a couple of the ushers. They have something that we'd like to give to you as a thank you for your service. We're, I am so grateful to be serving alongside of you. I'm not serving over you at all. I'm serving alongside of you in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we believe that it transforms lives, that God has the power to save. Our faith doesn't stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God and in demonstration of his spirit and power, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And that's what we believe. And I'm so grateful for each one of you that you're here and I'm here to serve with you. So thank you. I love to run. How many here like to run? There's some adventurous souls. All right. I, I always love to run. I remember when I was about five years old, my mom could not stand me running around the house anymore. So she'd say, Michael, can you go get out and run around the block about five times and burn off some energy? So she'd send me around the block until I would stop running around the house or else it would have drawn her, drove her insane. But as I grew older, I've always loved to run. And it kind of stuck with me. And before I started seminary, I used to actually run on a regular basis. Now I uh, hopefully will get back to that practice once things uh, calm down and I graduate from seminary. But before that, I used to run in this race called the Crim every year. I ran in it six years in a row. And it was staged really on the front door of the Riverfront Character Inn where I used to serve with Pastor Pierpont in downtown Flint, Michigan. And it was a 10-mile race. And so... Uh, and it gathered international attraction, right? There were Kenyans who would show up for this race, South Africans, Ukrainians, Russians. The cash purse was pretty good size. And it, uh, people also used it to qualify for the Boston Marathon. And so it normally gathered about ten to 14,000 runners uh, at the end of August for this 10-mile race and other shorter races associated with the Krim race in Flint. And so I would go on this race, and I, and I loved it. And we'd all start off in this big mass of thousands of people running down the brick streets in downtown Flint. But it didn't always go so well. And usually there was this big wall. For those of you who've run a lot, you'll remember that, and it always depends on the race, but in the crim, around the seven-mile mark, there was this wall that you would just, just crash at or have to push through. And it was... Uh, Really, everybody called it the Bradley Hill Zone. And it was that point of the race where everybody's running on flat pavement for most of the race through downtown Flint. But when you hit this Bradley Hill Zone, and it started getting hilly, and the road started curving, and you're three-quarters of the way through the race, but you just feel like dying. Because you've got this cramp in your left-hand side that won't go away, and you're trying to roll like this. And I remember at the top of the hill, there was this big crest at the top of the hill, and it'd be like a war zone. Have everybody seen that in a running race? It's just like a battlefield. Bodies laying everywhere on the right hand and the left hand. All these people are just like, get a die. They'd put an ambulance and park it on the street corner, a couple ambulances, maybe two or three on the street corners in that zone because some people would have heart attacks and strokes at this part. Because they've been pushing so hard and then they hit these hills and bam, that wall just knocks them down. But sometimes the Christian life can be like that. 
We can hit walls that seem insurmountable. Walls of unbelief. We somehow think that maybe God isn't with us anymore. We don't have the endurance to push through this wall. Maybe we're sitting in a college classroom and a skeptic, an atheistic professor says, you believe in God? Give me a break. And he pointedly makes fun of you in front of the entire class. And you go home to your, your, your room and you're just getting discouraged. And is this really worth it? Is this really, do I really believe this? It seems, man, I mean, every single person in my class does not believe in what I believe in. Or maybe you go to work and you get this barrage from your colleagues, from your friends about your Christian faith. Or maybe you're tempted to, to do something that you know is not right, but that temptation doesn't go away. And this wall just doesn't go away. And you're like, can I run through this? Do I have the endurance to push through? Can I make it through this race and continue on to finish well? It can seem insurmountable. Barrages from friends, ridicule from professors, colleagues at work, you name it. There's a hundred different ways where we can come, that we can hit walls in the Christian life. So what do we do? How do we run? How do we operate in this run of our lives? What do we think? How do we act? How do we respond in this place where we're just... We've got a cramp in our walk and we can't seem to go on. I wanted to propose, not propose, but really proclaim that there are some specific answers to that question because I've faced it and you faced it and will continue to face it throughout the Christian life. Throughout our run, our race of faith, we are going to face walls. And... Uh, Interestingly, we are not the only ones who have faced this circumstance. As is always the case, we find just a similar type of experience with those who received the book of the Hebrews, the original recipients whom the writer of Hebrews was writing to. They were faced with a temptation to renege on the profession of faith in Christ because they had exited Judaism and they had suffered great loss. Great loss of life, of wealth, of property, of business, family, friends. And they were discouraged. And there were perhaps some of them who were being tempted to say, Ah, I'm going to turn back, throw in the towel. And so the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has something to say for us and for them. Because we will face times when we feel like we cannot go on. And so I'm going to say that there's really kind of three, three things to keep in mind. Run with faith in the face of unbelief. Run, keep running with faith in the face of loss when everybody else is not. And with your eyes on the finish line. Keep running with faith with your eyes on the finish line. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32 Hebrews 10, verse 32 says this, But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, 
and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You see, they had been publicly exposed. They had a, their neck had been out put on the line. They joyfully gave up their property. We're talking houses, pieces of land. Because they could no longer hold, hold that property. They could not, no, no longer hold these homes within the Jewish community. These had come out of Judaism and had come to faith in Christ because they believed in Christ that they had a better, a surpassing, a greater reward than all that they had of earthly possessions or of even their personal lives. They were willing to put their necks on the line for the cause of Christ. And he's saying, remember that. Don't forget that. Don't forget that you willingly, you joyfully gave up these things because you believed that you had a greater reward in Jesus Christ. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So in verse 35, he says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. I saw this really clear when I went to India and I was thinking as I was baptizing Alex and Kelsey tonight, the last time that I was involved in administering the ordinance of baptism was when I was in India. And uh, this really struck my mind when uh, I stepped out of the baptismal and found out the waders I was wearing were leaking. And my right pant leg is still wet. <laughs> but it's not your pair, Pastor Pierpont. It's a different set. But I thought, you know what? This could be a lot worse. Because in India, I saw these men, women and children publicly proclaim. They were just wearing, you know, just rags of clothes because they had been beaten out of their houses because they believed in Jesus Christ. They took off the Hindu markings on their foreheads and they went out in the village. Everybody could see, not just Christians. This is a friendly audience. But in India, you're in a village surrounded by Hindus and Muslims who may want to kill you, may shun you, may never speak to you again, may never allow you to buy in their store or for you to sell anything to them. And they're saying, out in the village, my identity is in Jesus Christ alone. And they take their Hindu markings off or their Muslim clothes and their paraphernalia. And they enter into new life in Christ. And they, we're out in the cement basin, you know, all dusty and sweaty and dirty. And we didn't care if our pant legs got wet. It can be worse than that. And they joyfully surrendered everything. There was one Muslim woman who came to faith in Christ and her husband would never speak to her again. Maybe we'll face something like that in the future. Maybe your boss will say, you know, so you're a Christian. You follow Christ. Well, you can't work any longer. I don't know. Persecution is coming here in a very real form. But we face emotional persecution, verbal persecution, but physical persecution may come very soon too. I have a feeling it will. We may face loss, but we need to keep running with faith in the face of loss, no matter what. If our brothers and sisters around the world can do it, we can keep running too. We can keep our eyes on the greater reward that we have in Christ, a better possession, because it lasts. It's an abiding one, not a temporary one. 
land and property, homes, they don't last, jobs, they don't last. Keep running with faith, even in the face of loss. I saw this illustrated in my dad, who I'm so grateful for. And I know he prays for me every day with my mom for an hour every morning. And I'm just humbled when I think about that. When I was 12 years old, he was working as a financial controller in an automotive company, a small tool and die shop. And the owner who had taken over from his dad wanted my dad to do unethical things, like write dozens of rubber checks, even though they knew that they didn't have the money in the bank account. And my dad said, I cannot do this. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That'd be dishonest. That would not be living in integrity. I cannot lie. Somebody's going to go to jail and it's not going to be me. I'm a follower of Christ. And so he quit his job without having another job in line. We had just moved up to St. Clair, South Upward here on a new house. And my dad had no idea what he was going to do, but he knew what he had to do and what was right. And so he quit his job and he faced great loss. It took my family two or three years to recover from that, for my dad to get back in his line of work. But it's a public testimony to me and to you. Keep running with faith because we have a better possession, an abiding one, even in the face of loss. Let's look again. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Now look at verse 37. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Or the righteous, it could be interpreted, shall live by faith. But if he turns back, if he shrinks back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. I remember when I was faced with this passage, when I was planning to go on a mission trip to India, where God miraculously directed me into the full-time ministry Increase my faith in such a way so I could turn it all over and say, Okay, Lord, I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. But I came to verse 38 of chapter 10 and it says, The righteous one shall live by faith. Or the righteous shall live by faith. It doesn't say they shall try to live by faith or want to live by faith or think about living by faith. It says they shall live by faith. If not, it will give God no pleasure. And it just struck me. That I had to totally live in every decision, decide in every way, even if it cost me a lot of money out of my own pocket to go on a mission trip to India. It was worth it because we live by faith. We don't live by human wisdom necessarily, although God's given us a good intellect because our faith stands not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ as our great reward. But the second idea that we need to keep running with faith even when everybody else is not. And this really strikes home for me. I remember when I was in Montana and everybody I was surrounded by, everybody around me, did not live for Christ. I was involved in a ministry to try to reach out to people who worked in Glacier National Park in the summertime and try to evangelize them relationally and then preach in the campgrounds on Sunday mornings to campers who would come in. But there was nobody in there 
following Christ. And I was alone. But I had to keep running with faith, even when nobody else was around me. And some of you, when you show up to work tomorrow morning, you're going to be the only one in your office who's following Christ. Some of you are going to go to college on Tuesday and show up to morning class, and you'll be the only one in your class following Christ. Some of you may be in a family situation where you're the only one who knows Christ. How many know the name A.W. Tozer? A.W. Tozer, yes, hands all over. We love the guy. He was a great expositor of God's Word. Talked daily broadcast on Moody Bible Radio for years and years. Pastor in Chicago. You know what? He grew up in a non-Christian pagan family. When he was a young man and he came to Christ in his teens, I think 16 or 17 years old, he wrote down in the journal, nobody wants to pray before dinner. Nobody in my family wants to read the Bible. Nobody will go to church except for the, my little sister who's commanded she has to go with me. Nobody wants to follow Christ. Nobody. He was alone. And these people who received this letter perhaps were alone. We get the idea that maybe their family members had been killed. Their friends who had decided they were going to follow Christ had been killed. They had lost everything, their property. And they, maybe they were this ragtag band of, of followers going from catacomb to catacomb trying to hide. And they're feeling like this wall may be insurmountable. What are we told here? In verse 39, here's the encouragement. Verse 39 of chapter 10. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So he's saying, listen, I know you're tempted. I know it looks really bad. The wall looks impossible to push through. You've lost everything. You're alone. But you're not like those people who are going to turn back. You're not going to turn back. You will keep running. You will keep going. Pastor Pierpont, you'll keep going. You'll keep running. Michelle, you'll keep going. You'll keep going. You will not turn back. You'll not be of those who shrink back to destruction. You'll keep going. Pastor Pine, you'll keep going. Even though you may be tempted because of difficulty and distress, you are not like those who will shrink back to destruction because you are in Jesus Christ and God has the power to preserve you under the day of salvation. You just got to keep running. Push through. Those who have faith and preserve their souls. Many of my friends are no longer serving the Lord. In fact, I only have about two friends who I grew up with who are still serving Christ. And we talk about this every once in a while. Why are we the only ones who are still serving Christ? I mean, did my, our parents do something different? Is there something different about us? We're not really sure, but the grace of God. But I grew up with, with lots of friends and we sang in nursing homes, and we went on missions trips, and we, uh, we went on a 140-mile bicycle ride together with some good buddies, and we went to family camp together. We were in the same home school programs. We went to the same church, the same Sunday school. We had the same teacher, same pastor. But I have 
countless friends. Sadly, it grieves me, but they are not following Christ anymore. They've made a shipwreck of their lives. I have friends who literally did all those things that I just named with me. One who got on drugs, dishonorably discharged from the military, came home, got married, then threatened his wife with a knife, went to a hospital, then went to prison, and is now an alcoholic living back at his parents' home, you know, 27 years old. I'm like, what on earth? Young people, I don't want to see you follow that path. I want to see you run with faith, even in the face of loss, even when the going gets tough, when everybody else is not. But how do we do that? Sounds good on paper. How do we do that? Faith. Taking the knowledge we received, believing in what we know is true about God and exercising that in a total love commitment to Him. But what's our finish line? We see in chapter 11 this huge hall of faith of all those who've gone before us. And it says, of those others suffered mocking and flogging. I'm reading in chapter 11, verse 36 now. And even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two and they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from them, apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Many have gone before us in the faith. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Sarah and Rachel and all these have exercised great faith in God. And they've suffered persecution. They've suffered great loss. But you know what? The story isn't over because we are still following Christ. And here's what we need to do. Listen. Prof. Hendricks of Dallas Seminary said, Find out why the therefore, what the therefore is therefore. And we look in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Since we've been surrounded by these, and they're looking on, and they're saying, keep running, keep going, you can make it, you can do this. We've gone through this race. We can keep running. We can do it, you can do it. Therefore, shed the unbelief the disbelief, the sin which weighs us down, the entanglements that drive us to temptation that may tempt us to renege on our faith and look to Christ because He's our great reward. Keep your eyes on the finish line. My mom has told me over and over as she's gone through this life of faith, People will fail you, Michael. You know, pastors are going to fail. Great Christian leaders are going to fail. They're going to make mistakes. You're going to be confused. 
But don't follow men. Follow Christ. He's perfect. Look to Christ. Christ is enough. This life of faith is the only life that will satisfy. Look to Christ. He's our great reward. And that's how we run with faith. You've, you've probably seen millions, you know, not hundreds, millions, but dozens of clips, sports bloopers of athletes training for years to compete in the Olympics. And they're running along, and, and right at the last second, they turn back to see who's next to them, and they crash, you know, right in front of the finish line. And they were in the lead. They decided to turn around or look back, you know, what's going on? You need to be like a horse out of the gates with blinders on. I was talking to Alex earlier about when you go to Greenfield Village and all those horses that drive the carriages around, they have blinders on. Right, Lee? Because there's dozens of little kids running around and all kinds of noise and distractions. You've got to be focused. Focus on Christ. On His perfection. His love. His mercy. He is our great reward. We have a better and abiding possession that far surpasses anything the world has to offer. So run with faith, even in the face of loss, even when everybody else is not. Run with faith. Keep running, Dave. Keep running with your eyes on the finish line. This isn't easy, but running isn't. It's not. You're going to face walls. But if you run through it in the power of Christ, looking towards the finish line, by God's grace, we can accept the statement, you are not the ones who will shrink back. You will endure. I want to show you a short uh, illustration that I showed to the young people at winter camp. It's called the Fellowship of the Unashamed. And I encourage them to make this real for themselves, to decide that they were going to be a part of the Fellowship of the Unashamed, that their gait was going to be fast, that their focus certain. And so I want you to see this, and I would love for you to purpose in your hearts that this be true of you, that you would decide today that you are going to, in every decision of your life, Run with faith.